You get to be the face of God to the world. Not just today to each other, but out there in the world. Go carry the grace of God and the face of God to every person you meet this week. Show a smile to the person on the freeway who flips you off. Forgive me for saying it that way. Show a smile to them. The grace of God to you. Bless those that curse you. Isn't that what that means? You know, there was a man walking down the street. Listen, I'm going to push into all kinds of uncomfortable territory today, so just make yourself comfortable now because you won't be able to stay that way. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're going to get uncomfortable today, but it's okay. All the things I make you say. Listen now, friends, this is really true. There was a man walking down the street yesterday screaming at the top of his lungs. That's sort of a dead giveaway that something is wrong, right? There's a problem there. I mention it to you not to make fun of the man, but to pray for him. The man was walking down the street, and right by my office, I could hear him screaming. He was coming down Rosemont, and he was saying, curse these religious people, and curse their religion. Curse these religious people, and curse their religion. Except he wasn't saying curse. He was saying a curse. He was using a curse word. In our English language, it's generally considered about the worst curse word that you can use. I think that's sufficient for you to understand what he was saying. I won't repeat it. It's not needed to. But what I felt the Lord saying to me was, bless that man. Bless that man. Bless those that curse you. That's a direct command from Jesus. That man is not the one who was speaking that curse. That man is a victim of the demonic force that has a hold of his life. If you and I hear that man and go, oh, what a wicked man and what a wicked world, we have totally failed to hear what God has told us to say and to be to that man and a world full of men and women like him, which is to bless those that curse you and to pray for them, but to bind the spirits that lie and curse and to loose the spirit of the Lord. Now you say the Lord doesn't need me to loose him. No, he doesn't need you to, but he has asked you to. He has asked you to loose the armies of heaven. How would you have the authority to do that unless the commander of the armies of heaven said to you, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth, you'll find is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, you'll find it was loosed in heaven. So now you be those who bless those who curse you, but silence the voice of the enemy. You have the power to do that. You have the power to smile in the face of evil, to stand in the wicked day, and having done all, to stand in the Lord. Lord, we come to your word today. We need your word. Most of all, Lord, we need you. We live so often in our flesh. Forgive us, Lord. Cut away our flesh and reveal, Lord, our heart, the heart you've given us, not the heart of stone with which we were born and which we, in which we so long lived, but the heart of a soft, tender spirit Amen. which you have bestowed upon us, even your Holy Spirit. 
Your word is active and alive, and it penetrates deeply into us. We invite that today, Lord. We, we accept it today. If there are those listening to these words, and that's a new concept to them, then, Lord, I loose them into that life of liberty and bind them to the truth of your word, that they might receive today and believe today and confess today and be free today. Because the one who Jesus sets free is free indeed. In Jesus' name, amen. In the little town that I grew up in, there was a restaurant that I loved to eat in as a child. I'm a big fan of Mexican food. I could probably eat Mexican food every day. I love Mexican food. Uh, I don't know how you say that. Me gusto comida mexicana. Mexicana. I like Mexican food. Let me just say it that way. There was a little place called the Tamale House, and it really was just a tiny little diner where you sat at the counter. Sort of like if you've ever been to the apple pan on the west side, you know, it's just diner seating. That's the way this little tamale house was. It was just a, just a, a bar that wrapped around uh, the, the kitchen area. And they served a variety of things, but you can tell what their specialty was. It was, in fact, the tamale house. So it's no secret what they specialized in. Now, the first time that I can remember having a tamale, I was probably, I don't know, four or five years old that I can remember. And so the thing was served to me and it smelled wonderful. You know how a tamale kind of steams and the, the fragrance and the aroma of it lifts up to you and oh, it's a very welcome smell to me. And so I thought it looks like a burrito. So I'm just gonna grab that, that sucker and eat it like a burrito. Now, the, you're in for a big surprise if you grab a tamale and eat it like a burrito that way, right? I bit down into it and immediately I thought this this was a tease. It smells good and it looks good, but it tastes terrible. It's tough and chewy and tastes like, I don't know, like paper or corn husk. Well, what was the problem? You know what the problem was. I hadn't unwrapped the tamale, right? And so you think, why do they serve it to me this way? Why on earth are they serving it to me when the good stuff is what's underneath? But the reality is there are things that are for preparation and then there are things that are for consummation. There are things that are necessary in order to prepare, and then there are things that must be removed, pulled aside to reveal what is within. So we deal with a sensitive subject today, and I want to make it clear that we are going to deal with it. It's one of those things that's in the Bible, and you go, my goodness, we're supposed to be nice Christian people. And then we come to church, and pastor starts talking about circumcision of foreskins. And everybody gets a little bit uncomfortable. I told you you were going to get uncomfortable, didn't you? Why on earth did God institute this odd practice of circumcision? Without being overly graphic, it's presumable that most people in the room know what I'm referring to. But I don't want to take any chances. So let's just speak plainly about what circumcision is. Circumcision is a procedure by which skin from the male genital, from the male sexual organ, the procreative organ of the male, by which the seed of life passes into the womb of a woman through the sexual act. That skin with which every man is born is removed with a knife. Now this was done in and has continued to be done in Judaism as a religious practice and it was done on the eighth day. So it's done with an infant child. The infant child probably senses some dis discomfort or displeasure with it, but for a child of that age, it's a, a, a very simple wound that can be uh, recovered from very quickly. However, in the course of the scriptures, adult men are being described as being circumcised. And when we come in our Joshua Generation series today to chapter 5 of the book of Joshua, that's what we see. We see a nation of men who are about to undergo circumcision. 
That's not a minor thing. That's a pretty big deal. I mean, if I can put it to you bluntly, that reveals people who are extremely dedicated to the things of the Lord. And, you know, you might say, well, at least it reveals men that are extremely dedicated to the Lord. But the women were involved in this process, too. Not only were their husbands and their brothers and their fathers being circumcised, but their sons were being circumcised. And, in fact, the language of the chapter describes this procedure, which is obviously immediately male in its direct emphasis and its, its direct application. Nevertheless, it is described as something that the people did together. That is to say that the people collectively recognized we are supposed to do this and we're going to do it. Now, you and I, we can gloss over that. We can read it and go, well, that's part of the Old Covenant and that's just what they did. And, you know, there's a lot of language in the New Testament about how circumcision isn't necessary anymore. That was a big deal in the days of the early church when there were lots of Gentile men who were not circumcised and Gentile women whose husbands and children were not circumcised who were told in no uncertain terms by the Apostle Paul and others and ultimately the scriptures themselves, that that was not necessary in order for them to enter into the covenant with God. And it isn't. But there is the reality that God did present the covenant to his people with that sign attached to it. And there's a reason why. There's a reason why. I want you to consider for a moment that what God is doing in this sign is referring to the way people are born and the way people are called. The way people are born and the way people are called. You and I are all born a natural way that God says requires a surgery. Today in our world, it's popular to suggest that if you entered into the world with some sort of disposition, with some sort of persuasion, that if you have from the very beginning of your life always felt this way, always identified this way, that if you have certain traits or attributes that to, to you seem utterly natural, and you can trace that all the way back to the beginning, that that must mean that that is inviolate, that it cannot be wrong, that it must be from God. But God's word actually reveals that God says, I want to cut away something that is totally natural to you in order to reveal something, may I suggest, supernatural. That you come packaged into this world. Why, why is that tamale wrapped in that? Because there is a need for preparation, but then there's a time for consecration and consummation a revealing. Just because something came to you in a certain way doesn't mean it isn't meant to be unwrapped. And the fact of the matter is, we are talking about unwrapping the source of life. Every single one of us in this room entered life through that physical gateway. You came into your mother through your father. That is, the seed of who you are came from your father. And the egg or some essence of who you are came from your mother. And that life came into the world through that gateway. God is saying, I want to cut away the fleshly way in order to reveal the spiritual life. And that's a sign that you believe me. And it comes at some expense to you. Circumcision is a kind of sacrifice, a sacrifice of yourself. For women, circumcision is a sign also of the sacrifice that they make in their households in the relationship that they have with their husband, with their children. It is a mutual covenant agreement that says, this is the way we will live. We will live in a way that makes us different from the rest of the world, visibly different from the rest of the world, spiritually different from the rest of the world. 
Joshua chapter 5 is a chapter about standing on holy ground. And in doing so, it involves this covenant sign. It involves a commitment between God and his people and a release of life. I want to remind you of the key themes of Joshua that we've been talking about in our study in this series. History, heritage, and hope. That is, we are looking at what God has done. The covenant that he instituted with Abraham looks backward at where God began things with people and recognizes that there is, there is importance and value in remembering where we come from with God and also in recognizing the heritage into which he calls us. He says, I promised land and I promised nationhood to your father Abraham and now here is that promise. Similarly, Jesus Christ promises freedom to you and I. He promises the kingdom to you and I. And the heritage of that promise is here and now. The kingdom is at hand. It's right here. You and I are being called to enter into it, to enter into the attitude of covenant people dependent on the help of a covenant God. That's our hope. Our hope is in him. And he is a hope that does not disappoint. He calls us to do the impossible and then enables us to do it. But he says, first, cut yourself off from the natural way so that you can depend on the supernatural spirit. First, cut yourself off from the worldly way so that you can be confirmed as part of the spiritual people. Cut yourself off from the way of the flesh. Loose yourself from the bonds of sin and loose yourself into, bind yourself to, the covenant of salvation. You see that circumcision itself is a sign about saying no to a fleshly way and yes to a godly way. Are you tracking with me? Do you understand that concept? We're not talking so much about a physical procedure, although it has its values and benefits, but it does not matter, brother, today, whether you are circumcised or not. Sister, it doesn't matter whether your husband or your son is circumcised or not, particularly to the Lord. That's not the issue. The issue is for each one of us, is your heart circumcised? Are your ears circumcised? Are your lips circumcised? Well, what does that mean? It means, are those things still wrapped in the way of the world? Are they still robed in the flesh? Or are you cutting that away in order to hear what God says, believe it in your heart, confess it with your mouth. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That is circumcision of the heart, circumcision of the ears, circumcision of the mouth. That is being a covenant people. And our hope is in the Lord who says, if you will do that, you will find me living in you. You will find yourself standing on holy ground. This passage, chapter 5, comes in the midst of their central campaign. Last week, we talked about how they are making the advance to Jericho. You'll remember that a couple of weeks ago, we looked in Joshua chapters 1, 2, and 3, the preparations by which the spies went into Jericho. They saw this fortified city. They recognized that God was giving it to them. Last week, we saw how the entire nation crossed miraculously over the Jordan when God stopped the waters all the way back the line to Adam, a city called Adam. But in our understanding, a spiritual symbol of how God deals with all of our root sin all the way back to Adam. By the way, 
removing the foreskin is also a symbol of removing the sins of the forefathers all the way back to Adam. It is about being cut off from the line of curse. Do you know that there are generational curses? The scripture talks about that. That is not something weird or spooky, but actually very, very recognizable in our world. Things that people do wrong, ways that people live wrong, that affect not just them. Like a stone in a pond, the ripple of our sin reaches the entire world. Like a stone in a pond, the ripple of our faith can reach the entire world as well. So blessing and cursing is available to us. If we live in a way that is contrary to God, we don't just curse ourselves, but we end up cursing those around us. That man walking down the street, screaming out curses, is a way of recognizing what all kinds of people are doing all day long, every day, just not with their mouths. Sometimes with their mouths, sometimes with their eyes, always in their heart. And sometimes you and I can be living in that mode. We need to cut that out and cut that off. But it isn't easy. We need the help of the Lord. And in Joshua chapter 5, the Lord makes himself known and says, in fact, I'm with you and you're on holy ground. Preparatory to that is this cut that cures. Circumcision produces a wound. And the entire nation has to remain in place until that wound heals. But there was already a wound in the nation. There was a spiritual rebellion that had kept them in the wilderness for 40 years. Circumcision was the cut that cured that sin disease. It revealed fresh covenant to the people. And after that, there was feasting. They observed the Sabbath. And they began to eat of the fruit of the promised land. They began to eat of the milk and honey land that had been promised to them. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to Joshua and announced, Joshua, take off your shoes. Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. Last week we talked about consecration. Circumcision is a consecration. It's an act of cleansing or cutting apart a person or a thing for a holy purpose, to make it holy, to solemnly dedicate that person or persons to a service or a goal. So the people have entered into the land and God wants to set them apart in the land. By the way, all the surrounding kings are now filled with fear. They've lost their courage because they've seen the courage of the Joshua generation. They've seen the Lord God of Israel split the waters of the Jordan. And they say, if these people have that kind of a God on their side, what are we going to do? But rather than immediately running into battle, the Lord says to the people, make flint knives and circumcise yourselves again. So Joshua does that at a place called Gibeath Hearaloth which is literally the hill of the foreskins, a rather graphic word picture, but also a description of what's happening there. They are cutting off the fleshly way and dedicating themselves afresh to the Lord. Today is a day to dedicate yourself afresh to the Lord. The word of the Lord to us today is make a fresh, clean start. Make a fresh, clean cut. Make a fresh commitment in the old covenant of God. Now, this is why Joshua was called to do this. All the men of military age who had come out of Egypt during the Exodus died in the wilderness. Those men were circumcised. But all the people after them, their sons and their grandsons, none of those countrymen had been circumcised. Isn't that astonishing? 
Here the Lord had said, this is the sign of the promise. Maybe the reason that those men weren't confident that God would give them the promise is because they had failed to lift up the sign that God had told them to lift. You realize that the sign of the covenant is actually a legal function. It provides activation of the covenant. It is a way of saying, I'm tapping into this covenant with you, Lord. I'm showing you that I'm one of the members of this covenant. Maybe the reason that they were afraid that God wouldn't fulfill the covenant is because they hadn't fulfilled their end. They had been circumcised, but they hadn't taught their children that practice. And they hadn't done it with their children or the generations that followed. May that not be true of us. That we would be people who live in the things of the Lord ourselves, but fail to fully and faithfully reveal those things to our own children and grandchildren. And the generations of spiritual people following us. Is it enough to just say, PCF, well, we were people who were faithful in the past and we still believe in that faithfulness now, but we have no other generation to show for it? I don't think that's enough. We are to be people who bring other people into the covenant and faithfully reflect it to them. So the Israelites who had not done that died out. But now the Israelites who themselves were not at fault. You don't expect an infant to circumcise himself. But now let me make, make the symbolic parallel here. You may say, well, there are things that are no fault of mine. Yeah, generational curses that come down to you. Genetic things, dispositional things. Maybe you're somebody prone to depression and your mother was always like that or your grandfather was always like that. Maybe you're someone who recognizes that the kind of greed that you hate in yourself and yet you see it all the time, that came from an uncle that you know. Maybe there are things in you that you have no idea are generational, but two, three, four generations back in the past, if you found out, you'd be surprised to know that's not just born of you. That came down the line to you. Maybe there are things that are part of your past that are no fault of yours. Maybe somebody abused you or molested you as a child. You're a victim of that. It's not your fault, but you continue to suffer a curse from it. Maybe somebody wounded you in another way, took something away from you, and you've forgiven them in your heart, but you still feel a burden. You feel ashamed, or you feel embarrassed, or you feel some kind of anger about it that's actually a curse. It's time to take the authority of Christ in your life and cut yourself off from those things. Simply speak it out. I, I loose myself from that. Say, will you say this? Will you repeat these words with me right now? In the name of Jesus Christ, I renounce and loose myself from every generational curse and past wrong done against me. And I bind myself to the word of life that is the word of God. Amen. Now, that's not some magic formula, but yeah, let's praise the Lord for that. It's not a magic formula, but it is a powerful confession. And that might be something that you would benefit from repeating regularly. It doesn't need to be those words, but you can regularly renounce. And when you see things that are specifically, obviously, of that kind of a line. When you see things of lust or depression or anger or resentment or pain or embarrassment or shame, and you know it's not of the Lord, and you know that it came from something before you, even if it's no fault of yours, it's not a judgment against you, 
but it is a curse that can bind you. So free yourself from it in Christ. Christ has already freed you, but there's a place for you to enter into that promise. You can do it. And if you confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart, you'll see it in your life. You'll feel it in your soul. You'll start to get free. You'll start to recognize it in others. And instead of judging them for it, you'll pray for them. You'll bless them. Maybe you'll even lead them into that place. Now, there's another reality. Maybe there are things that you have done. It's not something somebody did against you. It's not something in some other life before you, but it's your mistakes. It's your sin. Maybe you're the one that traumatized or hurt someone else. And you really do think somewhere in the back of your mind, I can't deal with that because although you say you're a Christian and although you know the word, in your heart, what you really believe is God could never forgive me. You might be angry with him about that. You might be angry with yourself about it. You might be afraid of him in the wrong way. But I'll tell you, that's a barb, a hook of Satan that is controlling you. You don't need to be controlled by that anymore. It's time to reveal that thing. You say, but that's going to hurt. I'm going to bleed. That's what circumcision involves. But God will give you the time and place to heal from it. And as you do, you will receive strength and grace. Because I'll tell you, there is no sin that God will not forgive except the sin that is not brought to him. The only sin he won't forgive is the sin that isn't asked to be forgiven. There is no sin that he will not forgive and heal you of. He already knows it's there. Why would you keep it from him? Because you're afraid of the knife in the hand of the Lord? He's a good, good father. What he's going to do is cut you free. What he's going to do is make you strong. What he's going to do is bring you into the promise. So the whole nation gets circumcised and they remain in place until they are healed. And the Lord heals them. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So they called the place Gilgal, which sounds like the Hebrew word for wheel. And in fact, those stones that they took out of the river that we read about last week, they were probably placed in a circle. Gilgal is like a wheel, a circle of stones, a reminder to them, not only of how God brought them into the promise, but how he rolled away the curse. But interestingly enough, notice, it's not the curse of the immediate generation. It's the curse of the world they came out of. He's removed more than just the sin of their fathers. He's removed the darkness and death of the world of sin. Egypt is a symbol of the worldly way, the demonic curse. It's a symbol of death, spiritual death. And God says, I've rolled that away. You cut off a bit of skin. I rolled away all a world of sin. You cut off a little. I rolled away a lot. Hallelujah. Of course, it doesn't feel like a little if it's your skin, (laughs) especially if it's in a very sensitive place. And that's exactly right. God wants to come to the most sensitive place in you, the place that you don't reveal to just anybody. In fact, the place that you may not reveal to anybody at all, a place that's very private. But you know what? It's also the source of life. It's the place where the seed of God is going to come out of you. The word of God that brings fruitfulness. So in a year of fruitfulness, we must be a circumcised people. And it's not enough to say we used to be. It's not enough to say those who came before us were. We must be. 
Circumcision is a sign of God's covenant with Abraham. If you look into Genesis 17, you'll see it. And the Lord says it'll be a sign for all your generations, an everlasting covenant. But any uncircumcised male will be cut off from my people. He's broken the covenant. And likewise, any mother that wouldn't circumcise her son, she would be cut off by that. So what the Lord is saying is you're either part of the covenant or you're not. But this is a spiritual covenant. And throughout even the Old Testament, not just in the New, but in the Old Testament, the Lord makes it clear through his word that he's talking about a spiritual thing. This, the physical is merely a sign, but what's really being done must be spiritual. Moses said in Exodus 6, I am on uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? What does Moses mean by that? What he means is my lips are fleshly. They're covered in the flesh, the weakness of my flesh. I don't have divinely revealed lips. In other words, I don't have the divine gift of speech. I just have worldly speech. What am I going to do? And God simply says, you know what? Just say what I tell you to say. When you put the word of God in your mouth, you have circumcised lips. What that means is you have a covenant confession. You have the power to speak God's world. Friend, look around you right and left. Look at all the far-flung stars of the universe that spread forth in millions and billions and trillions of miles. All of it was created out of God's mouth, by God's word. And you can have that word in you. Amen. Amen. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and gave himself body and blood for us, to us. We're going to put him into our mouth today. Put his word into your mouth every day. Simply speak what God says. Speak it over your life. Get a Bible promise book, will you? Or find an app that has all the promises of the Bible and start simply saying them over yourself. But not just over yourself, because we aren't made to be selfish people. Say them over your workplace. Say them over your family, your marriage, your children, your parents. Say them over your troubles, your finances, your hopes, your dreams, your ambitions. Say them over your plans. Don't say, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that until you've said what God has to say about you doing this or doing that. Say them over the world around you, the neighborhood. Prayer walk your neighborhood and speak the promises of God. You want to see how powerfully God can reveal what's going on? Do you want to see how powerfully God can deal with the problems and reveal the solutions? But we need to remove the fleshly nature of our heart to reveal the divine nature of God's spirit. Deuteronomy 10 says, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. How? Stop being stubborn. What does that mean? When God tells you to do something, stop not doing it. When God says to you, you know, your life would be better if you would read the Bible more. Don't think of that as some drudgery. Recognize it as a promise. But if you fail to do it, then you'll fail to receive it. When God says give to the things of the kingdom, give financially to the church, give to missions, give to a person that he tells you, give a gift to that person. If you don't do that, what it reveals is your heart is encumbered by your flesh. If you want to reveal the heart, cut off your ties to your material things. Stop being bound to what you have and start loosing it into the world around you. You'll circumcise your heart that way and you'll recognize the life of God coming and flowing through you. Things that were blocked and hindered will start to flow. Start speaking words of life instead of words of cursing. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, the prophet Jeremiah says by the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts 
because of your evil deeds. In other words, the foreskin of the heart is also building up wickedness in ourselves. When we knowingly sin, we build up the flesh. Now, there is forgiveness for sin, sin, but repentance is the cut that cures. Repentance doesn't just say, I'm sorry I did that. It says, I will cut that off so that it cannot be restored. You know, one thing about a circumcision, for all intents and purposes, it is permanent. Now, human beings always find a back way around things, and there are, I, I have heard, some kinds of procedures it's a kind of a scary prospect to me, but in any case, let's recognize that essentially circumcision is something that you don't go back on. That's what God is looking for. Turn away from something and don't turn back. Don't be like the wife of Lot who kept looking back at the world of sin she came out of and because of it, she died in it. She became nothing more than a pillar of salt. Instead, look forward to the place of promise. Behold, the days are coming, says Jeremiah, when I will punish those who are circumcised merely in the flesh, but they're uncircumcised in their heart. Here God makes it clear that it's not enough just to have the physical outward sign. What God is looking at is in the heart. These are the words that the, prof, the apostle Paul recognizes in the New Testament. Is It's not just something new for Gentile Christians. It's always been the case that what circumcision was really about was the heart was about the confession of God, was about hearing the word of the Lord. Look at Jeremiah again. To whom shall I speak, says the Lord, and give warning that they hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They can't listen. You know why so many people in the world cannot understand, cannot receive, and friends, not just in the world, but even people in the church, even people who love the Lord and the Lord loves them, but their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot hear what God is saying because their ears are clogged with the things of the flesh. But there is a way out of that. There is deliverance. Pray for deliverance. There are things, please, this, I say talaga from the depth of my heart. There are things binding you and me that we don't even yet know about. It's just, it's just the reality. As long as we are living in this world, in this body of flesh, there is stuff still to be dealt with. I'm persuaded that God allows us to remain in this world precisely so he can deal with the things that still need to be dealt with in us. I'm not saying your salvation isn't real if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that there is not a once-for-all salvation that comes to all who put their faith in him. What I am saying is there's more work of sanctifying, purifying to be done in us. Seek the Lord for deliverance from those things that you don't even know are binding you. Read the word with a mindset of, what do I need changed in me? Let's say a prayer just at this moment. Father God, show us where our ears need to be circumcised. Show us where we're not hearing you. Cut away even now, Lord, those things that are blocking us from hearing you so that we can hear your word to us today and obey it. Note then that circumcision relates to the people's ongoing participation in the covenant power of God. It relates to cutting away the flesh and cutting off worldliness. And it's a spiritual reality more than a physical reality. The physical is merely a sign of the spiritual vitality of hearing, speaking, and doing God's word. We at PCF are people who hear, speak, and do the word of the Lord by the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's our call and that's our testimony. That's our lives. 
And to be a people like that means that we engage in the commemoration of what God has already done. It's important not to lose touch with the remembrance of what God has done because it is also the way in which we lift up to God the sign of our faith and trust. We remind ourselves, we teach future generations, we show the world, and we activate in ourselves the covenant of God. We, we say, God, the promise you've made, we want to appropriate. We want to follow and obey. Commemoration is an act of remembrance. Retaining and honoring the memory of what someone has done or something that has transpired. There are often actions of celebration or reverence involved. Interestingly enough, commemoration often involves the establishment of something, a, a, a memorial that is built or raised up. The Lord is building us up as a spiritual memorial to who he is and what he does in our world. There's something else that the generation prior to the Joshua generation didn't do that the Joshua generation did do, which was to observe the Sabbath, excuse me, to observe the Passover meal. The meal that remembered how they had been brought out of slavery in Egypt. They, for the first time in 39 years, they observed the Passover. The Passover was a remembrance, the meal that is, a remembrance of their deliverance by God from slavery and death as described in the book of Exodus. I am grateful to the Biblical Archaeological Society website for some of this information here. If you want to find the roots of this event, you can find it in Exodus chapter 12. The Lord says, sacrifice a lamb on the 14th day of the month. That's exactly the day in Joshua 5 when they do this. Eat the lamb with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. You swab the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. God would see that sign and pass over their houses so that the angel of death would only come to the Egyptian households. And this was a ritual meal that was to be repeated. Now, initially, the Lord said, on the first anniversary, observe that Passover meal. And they did in the wilderness. But for the next 39 years, they never did it again. And Jewish scholars have noted that there isn't at that time a specific command of the Lord to do it in the word. But it is presumed that they ought to have wanted to. In other words, there's a Jewish interpretive principle around this subject that says God shouldn't have asked them to do it. They should have just been doing it themselves. But ultimately, in Joshua 5, what God says is do this again and make this, institute this as a meal, which is part of the Levitical Code, to institute this as a feast annually, year after year. But the Passover lamb, they do again here. Now, this is the very meal this Passover Seder meal, it's called. The very meal that Jesus shared with his apostles on the last night before his own sacrifice. What we call the Last Supper. What we call communion. In fact, this here is a Passover table. How God will pass over us with life and preserve us from death. Amen. Jesus says in Luke 22, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. Do this in remembrance of me. It is a commemoration that says, we believe in your covenant, the new covenant in your blood. We are part of it. Apply it to us, Lord. We want to enter into the promise of your blood. So communion is itself a remembrance of our deliverance by God from slavery to sin and the doom of eternal life. It is the feast that feeds, that nourishes not just our body, but our soul, and makes us one body in him. We're about to take it, but before we do, I want to say the words of the Lord to Joshua are words of the Lord to you today. The angel that announces is an angel that both enunciates 
and annunciates. Two words that can be easily confused, but they mean slightly different things. Enunciation is to pronounce a word or proposition clearly, definitely, to express or proclaim it firmly or plainly. Lord Jesus Christ, you are my Savior. I am enunciating my trust in you. The gospel is this, all have sinned and gone astray, but God in his mercy provided a sacrifice for our sin and a savior to the world, is, and his name is Jesus Christ. If you will believe in him and give your life to him, you will have eternal life and more abundant life here. That is an enunciation of the gospel, a clear, plain, definite statement of truth. When you speak the word of God over your life, when you declare, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. When you declare, if God is for me, who shall be against me? When you declare that, Lord, I want to belong to you. You are my Lord and Master. Make me obedient to you. You are enunciating the word of God. You're clearly confessing it. But God enunciates something. God makes an announcement over you. In fact, the enunciation in scriptures is when the angel Gabriel comes to the Virgin Mary and says, blessed are you among women, for you will be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, the power of the Most High, and you will conceive a son, and his name shall be Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. It's an announcement. It comes from the late Latin formal word for an announcement. When you enunciate the truth of God, God announces his word through you. He announces his word to you and through you. Joshua is near Jericho. They are zeroing in on their target, but he's also closer than ever to the greatest, hardest battle that they're ever going to have to fight. And he is going to hear from the Lord that the way they're going to fight it is with praise. That the way they're going to fight it is not with swords, not with clubs, not with arrows. They're not going to lift up arms. They're going to lift up their voices. They'll lift up hands in praise. But that's scary. Because what they're coming against are walls that cannot be taken down. An army that cannot be withstood. But they're going to have to proceed in faith. And before they do that, the Lord himself appears. I mentioned in our first uh, session in this series that I believe that this is a Christophany. That the angel of the Lord's armies is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Amen. He has his sword drawn. See, the Lord is the one who will fight for us. All you have to do is stand in the word of the Lord. And the word is a sword, but it's in the hand of the Lord. And if it's in your mouth, then the Lord fights for you. For his will for you. Not what you want or I want, but what he wants. Which is blessing for you and all the world. <laughs> this is how Joshua knows it. He says, are you with our enemies or are you for us? And, the, and Jesus, I believe, this angel, says, nope. I'm not for you. I'm not for your, your enemies. I'm for me. I'm for the armies of heaven. But I'm with you. You see the difference there? The Lord says, I'm not yours to command. You're mine. But I'm with you. So be strong and have a good courage. Fear not, neither be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you. But he's not yours to direct. He's not here to fight your battles according to your battle plan. He's here to say to you, you're mine. You're on holy ground. I'm going to show you which way to go. This is the way. Walk in it. Because it's the Lord's will that we desire. The commander of the Lord's army said, take off your sandals. 
for the place where you are standing is holy. And you know how the Lord knew that Joshua believed? He saw his heart, a circumcised heart. He saw his act. He did it. He took off his shoes. I'm going to ask if those who are serving from the communion table would bring the table before us. I realize that we've gone long today, but we are not going to shorten what is the most important part of our gathering this morning. What we do every month to memorialize what Jesus did once for all. Friend, you don't have to literally do it all. You can if you want to. But I want to say to you spiritually, take off your sandals today. When the Lord brought this meal to his people, he did it in a way that remembered his word to his people of old. The Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. I'm going to lead you to lead my people into a promise. The Lord said to Joshua, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I've given it to you. Those stones in Gilgal, they were shaped in the form of a footprint. It was an Egyptian practice that said, this place has belonged to us. We've put our foot on it, but it's the foot of the Lord. And today the Lord is putting his foot down in the most blessed of ways. And he's saying, you belong to me. So you, whatever it means to you to take off that which you use to protect yourself and let the Lord come and wash your feet. Peter said, wash my whole body. But Jesus said, your body's already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. But what I want to do is wash your feet. Do you know that in the Hebrew scriptures, the feet were a euphemism for the, the, the reproductive organs? The Lord is saying, let me come to the place where life comes out of you and let me wash you clean right there. Let me come to the source of life in you and restore that source and renew it in me. Let me make you clean. This table is a table about what God has done. On the night before he was to be sacrificed for us, Jesus had that meal with his apostles and he made it clear to them where God was calling them into his body. He said, this bread is my body, broken for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you partake of it, do it in remembrance of me. And he said also the words that would give us hope. For he said, this cup is the cup of a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. Our hope is not in our own strength. It's not in our own righteousness. It's not in the things we've done that we think are good. It is in the one thing that God has done that saves us all, the sacrifice of his son, our Savior.